Okay, get your, get your Bibles out. Anybody not have a Bible? Need to have a Bible tonight for sure. We're going to do a lot of flipping and a Bible or an app, whatever you need. So there are Bibles in the back. By the way, before we start, how many of you are, are planning on being in a home group? Good. Okay, great. I want to encourage you, if you're having to choose between the home group and here, Wednesday night, go to the home group. We really feel like that's a real important part of 11 weeks, get to know some people. So, so Hebrews 11, we're going to look at the beginning of a three parts on Abraham, and he is the father of the faith. So looking at faith and the promises of God, that's going to be the next three weeks. Greg and I are going to split this thing up. So in Hebrews 11, let's read this section on Abraham. Now, in Hebrews 11, we got the Hall of Faith, and it's in chronological order, except when you get to David and Samuel. For some reason, he flips it there. But for the most part, Hebrews 11 is in chronological order, according to these different um, examples, pictures, descriptions of faith. So in Hebrews 11:8, let's read through 22. This is all in Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Interesting thing to give, to give instructions about, isn't it? Uh, look at verse 33. Again, looking at the promises. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. And then in verse 39 of Hebrews 11. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray you would bless now, break it fresh, anoint, Lord, and minister, I pray, your truth to our hearts. 
May we not only listen and hear and, and understand some things, Lord, but may it go into our hearts where, Lord, it finds good soil and therefore it will bring forth a greater fruit. And we pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. So two girls were talking, and one said she had ten pennies. The other girl looked at her hand and saw only five. She said, you only have five pennies. The first girl replied, I have five, and my father told me he would give me five more tonight, so I have ten. She understood that her father's promise was as good as done. Can you hear an amen? The promise of God, the promises that he gives to us. In our next three studies, we're going to consider Abraham and the promises of God as we see him in his life. This section takes us through Genesis 12 through 50. So it's a large segment, an important segment, obviously, of the beginnings. And here we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God is a God of promise, and he gives us promise. In fact, Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. In other words, God not only promised, he swore he'd do it. God doesn't have to do either. He cannot lie, but he is a God of promise. He makes a promise. Faith believes it. Patience waits for it, and hope anticipates it. Amen? And so our love for God is sealed really in our hearts because we know that what God has said is true. He's not lying to us. He's not trying to deceive us. He wants to make sure that we understand something about God. He cannot lie. He wants us to know the truth. He wants to confirm that to our hearts so that as we're following him, as we're seeking to know him, we understand one thing. He is God. He cannot lie. What he promises he will do, what he said he will accomplish, and thus we enter into this relationship with him, understanding that we are responders to him who is the initiator. God promises, we believe it, we anticipate it, we look forward to it. Promise or promised or promises is found 18 times in the book of Hebrews and seven times in chapter 11. I would like to look, I would, I would like to look at those passages if you would uh, this, tonight. Now, before we do, primarily the term is a legal term. So it's a summons, if you will. It's an understanding to do or give something, but it's in legal terminology in many of the, of the translations of it. So God is telling us, this is what I'm going to do. You can count on it. Look at Hebrews 4.1. Well, I'll work through it through chapter 12. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So that was one of the warnings. There's the promise. A promise of entering his rest. Look at chapter 6. I quote a little bit of this, but let's look at 6 verse 12. He says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, 
because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. Look at chapter 7 and verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. Who is he talking about here? Melchizedek, our great high priest. So he says, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, that is from the Levitical lineage, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had what? The promises. Chapter 8, verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. But now he, that is Jesus, has, an obta- has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Now frequently, the thing is what the promise is. So the thing promised signifies a gift. This is the promise. God promised us his son. He promised us a Messiah. He promised us eternal life. He promised us assurance. These are things that he's given to us as gifts. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance or really the promised eternal inheritance. Look at chapter uh, 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again in chapter 10 and verse 36, and here's a great verse. You have need of endurance, so after you have done what? The will of God, you may receive the promise. Okay, and finally in chapter 12 and verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only earth, but also heaven. Uh, We haven't seen that yet, but know this, that God's going to fulfill that promise. There's going to be coming a shaking that that which cannot be shaken won't be, but whatever can be, will be. And there is going to, Peter talks about that, when there's the folding up of the whole thing, and God's going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, a little heart check here, this before we continue in talking about God's promises, how are you when it comes to your promises? How are you when you would make an oath or swear a commitment in fulfilling those commitments? Because God expects us to do that. We don't get off the hook because we're not God. Because he is God, we're on the hook. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. Unfortunately, we are far from that as a nation. Far from it. I think it's almost ludicrous that many of these people put their hands on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I think it's a little ridiculous that that's what we see with our our top leaders in our nation. There's so much lying and deception. It's like you've lost trust in the the whole thing. 
When a man repeats a promise again and again, he probably means to fail you. In the movie Mary Poppins, how many of you have seen Mary Poppins? Okay. Two children, remember Jane and Michael Banks? They jump into bed after their incredible first day with the amazing Mary Poppins. Jane asked, Mary Poppins, you won't ever leave us, will you? Michael, full of excitement, looked at his new nanny and asked, will you stay if we promise to be good? Mary Poppins looked at the two as she tucked them in and replied, look, that's a pie crust promise. Easily made, easily broken. I hope we're not pie crust promisers. I hope God will help us to swear to our own hurt and still fulfill that. He who is the most slow in making promises is the most, most faithful in performing them. We need to be slow and think through, what am I saying? What am, I, am I saying yes? Then let your yes be yes. Am I saying no? Let your no be no. Listen to this. If you will promise less and do more, your boss will eventually put your name on a door. You know, stop with all the, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, just get going, amen? Get working. Let me give you an outline for, for this section of Hebrews that Greg and I are going to share. Four things about Abraham and the promises of God. First of all, Abraham went out. Now, I can get this up for next week. Abraham went out. It speaks about the direction of his faith. Okay, I'm going to hit that tonight. And that's verses 8 through 12. Then Abraham waited. He waited. He waited with Isaac and Jacob. That was the destination of his faith. Okay? So Abraham went out. That's the, the direction of his faith. He waited. That is for the destination of his faith. Third, that's verses 9 through 16, overlapping. The third thing in this section, Abraham was tested, was tested. That is what I call the resurrection of his faith. And a key, key event in the Old Testament is when Abraham was tested by God and offered up his son Isaac. Extremely central to what we believe and understand about what God accomplished for us. That's going to be fun to look at. Finally... Abraham was blessed. And this is the anticipation of his faith. So we have, he went out, that's the direction. He waited, that is the destination. He was tested, that is the resurrection. And finally, he was blessed with Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that's the anticipation that they all had. Believing, not having received the promise, they waited that was, they knew where they were going. But the final thing is the anticipation that God will bless our lives. Can I hear an amen on that? We anticipate God's blessing on our lives because we understand what God has accomplished for us. What he wants, what he's already accomplished tells us he wants to bring blessings into our lives. How? Through faith. Anticipating that God is the one who's accomplished these things for us. And so the direction of his faith, look at verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, by the way, this is the key. The direction of faith is obedience. That's the direction. Faith will always direct us in being obedient to God. We talked about this last week in our, as we had a little discussion afterwards. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out. This is, this is kind of crazy, isn't it? Not knowing where he was going. Uh, honey, we're going to be moving. Really? Where are we going? He said that to Sarah. Well, I don't know. God just told me to, to, to move. Okay, so we're moving. Go to Genesis chapter 12 and let's look at this important transition in the book of Genesis even. In Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebith tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in, then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. I got a couple words for you tonight if you're taking notes. The first one is the word urge. That to me seems to describe faith. In other words, the promises of God, faith and the promises of God, urge us into the unknown. There's a certain understanding that when God is leading and directing, there's going to be this, this element of an urging to be going and doing things that are not known yet. It's one of the exciting things about walking with the Lord. They grab onto us, His promises. Now, when, when the Lord says he wants to use our lives, he wants to, us to be fruitful, he wants us to see him working to do the impossible things in our life, doesn't that urge you on to, that God would be taking your life and doing so much more with it that we can be used by God in such amazing ways? We don't quite know how that all works out. We understand along the way that God has ways of humbling us so he can use us. He had to do that with Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert. We all have training periods. So God using us really so that, he's be, so that he'll be glorified. But the fact that that whole idea that God wants to take and pour in, into our lives and through our lives, his power, his presence, and, and, and minister his promises is so urging to me. It's just, it has this urgency, God do it. So Faith and the promises of God urge us into the unknown. They grab onto us. 
They get us going. Now, it's not the destination, it's the direction. Abraham was going in the only one direction that faith and the promises of God take us, and that is obedience. Disobedience is not the direction, it's obedience. In every moment of every day, listen, my next step can be in the direction of obedience to God. That's what's glorious about what we have in Christ. Repentance gives me a next step in obedience. So if my last step or my last several steps or maybe all of my previous steps were in disobedience, I can take the next step in obedience to God. Very simple word, repentance. I may need a course correction because I'm slightly off. And if you're just slightly off, by the time you reach where you thought you were going, you won't even see it. Amen? That whole plane thing they're trying to find right now. You're off the radar. We can be, if, you know, if you're just one degree off and you're leaving Seattle to get to Hawaii, you'll never see Hawaii. Now, that would be tragic. We've got to see Hawaii. <laughs> or the children's ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I call it, a one-step choice. Every step I can choose to be obedient to God. And let me tell you, as you well know, obedience to God may not be the most comfortable step. Amen. It may be the step I don't want to take because I've given a yes. I've made a commitment. I've given a promise. And thus I'm to swear to my own hurt and not deviate. That's what the Bible says. That my yes is to be yes. My no, no. Had Abraham not obeyed, had he not went out, we would not be reading of his faith today. He would have never walked any further in the pages of Scripture. The promises that God had for him would have been meaningless. And thus the same for us. His promises become meaningful when I'm obedient to follow him and where he's directing me, in the direction. Now, obviously, if a person doesn't take the first step of repentance from his sin and receive Christ, none of these promises and none of the direction is going to be seen at all. There'll be no destination. So we understand the first step in obedience to God. And maybe you're here tonight. I'm not going to assume everyone here tonight has come under the blood of Jesus and been saved from sin. If you're not, then I hope that the word of God is urging you to understand this is the first step. Jesus said, you need to come to me. You need to repent. You need to turn from where you're going and come to me. And Jesus himself is the only door in then the direction of obedience to God. Take the step tonight if you haven't. If you're here and you've heard it, you've heard it, but really you know in your heart you're not right with God tonight. You don't have peace with God tonight. You, you, the urging for you is not the urging of what God can do, but the urging of what he might do if you don't get right with him. That's a good urge. I would say maybe tonight's the night to heed that urge. Say, okay, God, I'm done. I'm here. Let's get this thing right. Faith in the promise of God, the first word is urge us. They urge us into the unknown. But secondly, the second word is they undergird us in facing the unknown. 
I can face so many different things because I know what God has promised me. So it urges me forward, but then at the same time, there's a certain need that I have to be undergirded when I don't know what's going on. I don't know where this is leading. I don't know what it's going to mean. Question. Are you where you thought you would be a week ago? Are you where you thought you would be a month ago? So a month ago, you're thinking, maybe a year ago, I think it's easier if you say, okay, I thought in five years this is where I'd be. Is that what happened? I would venture to say, for the most part, not exactly. Or maybe not at all. See, we don't know what's coming. We have no idea, really, what tomorrow holds. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about it. Live for today. Now, does that mean that we don't plan? Not at all. Obviously, it's important to plan. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war, Proverbs says. But Proverbs also says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. James says, hey, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So don't say we're going to go here and do this and that. So that, that undergirding of the unknown is so much what we have in faith in the promises of God. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. We have to be planning and thinking. That's just wisdom. But then God undergirds our decisions as we've been talking about Sunday morning. He undergirds us with his promises and faith in him. And so the key to Abraham going out, he went out, was going in obedience to God. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew who told him to go. There you have it. That's the key, knowing God. The obedience of faith is not so much in the destination as it is in the direction because really we don't know except the promises of eternal life, really what's coming next week, next month, five years. So Abraham went out the direction. Secondly, Abraham waited with Isaac and Jacob the destination of his faith. Now here, if you're taking notes, there are three things. I'm going to hit a couple. Greg's going to hit on the country next week as well as probably these other ones too, because they're all really together. But there are three things that Abraham waited for. Number one, he waited for a city which has foundations. Verses 9 and 10. Secondly, Abraham waited for a child from him who is faithful. And that is Isaac, the, the son of promise. So he waited for a city which has foundations. Secondly, in verses 11 and 12, he waited for a child from him who was faithful. And third, he waited for a country, listen, in which he fit in. Can I hear an amen? In which he fit in. Strangers and foreigners, pilgrims is what he was. So are we. So he waited for a city which has foundations. Look at verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. The land of promise a foreign country, because indeed it was that in that sense. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
To the cultured man in the first century, the city was the highest form of civilized existence. The ideal community, which has foundations as opposed to tents. Which have, how, many, how much of a foundation does a tent have? Zero. Get the contrast. 27 times the word tent or tents is used in Genesis. Only three times before Abram comes on the scene. From Genesis 12 on, every mention of tents or tents are either Isaac or Abraham, Isaac or Jacob. So it, in my mind, it's, it's just kind of a cool picture that when we look at these patriarchs, they were looking for a city which has foundations. In other words, it was temporal living, even in that promised land. Now that word maker means craftsman or designer. So they're looking for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker, the maker is the craftsman, the designer, the city planner. The city is entirely designed by God. It's of his design. The builder is the one who actually does the work. It's always nice when someone else does the work. By the way, we got our certificate of occupancy today. Yeah. But this ain't our home. We all fit. That was, isn't that fantastic? So the final leg, if you're praying for our building here, is doing, getting all the things settled with our bank and going to a mortgage. But we got our certificate of occupancy today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, we got our certificate of occupancy today. <laughs> Semi-permanent, yes. You know, I loved it when God took up occupancy in my, my life. He gave me the certificate of occupancy. Sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Said, now you're the temple of the living God. Isn't that awesome? That's permanent. Permanent. Signed by his blood. So this city is eternal, more lasting than earth's short-lived cities. They were looking forward. Now, as we read this story, Abraham and Lot had to separate later on. Lot made his choice, and then interesting, if you read that in Genesis 13, which we won't, just for time, but there's the homework. It's interesting that Lot made his choice, and then when he was done making his choice, then God chose for Abraham. That's always the better way to go. In fact, God said, now lift up your eyes, Abraham, and let me show you what I'm going to give you. And it's as though Abraham was looking this way. Okay, make your choice. And I'm going to let God make, make the one for me. Faith and the promises of God, listen, urge us into the eternal. They lift our eyes far beyond what we might choose. And God shows us what he's chosen for us. And he's the designer and the builder. So faith in the promise that urge us into the eternal things. And they undergird us for the temporal life. Can I hear an amen? 
They undergird us as we move around in these tents. They undergird us until we make the final move. You understand what the final move is? This body, this tent, Paul used the tent, must be put off. We must, we're going to be delivered from these tents. We groan to be delivered from these tents. That we might be clothed, not unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. And God's prepared an eternal habitation for each and every one of us. I have no idea what they're going to look like, but I know they'll be related to this body because this body is likened to a seed. When you plant the seed, what comes up is not the seed itself, but something much more glorious. So our bodies are like the bulb of the tulip. You look at that bulb, that's a tulip? Yeah, that's a tulip. Really? Looks ugly to me. Well, put it in the ground. See what happens. When we die, we, we are going to be somehow related to this body of, as it's planted. So what's planted is not what you see. What we see is the fruit of that seed, and it's somehow connected. But I have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, if I'm still 5'6", so be it. <laughs> Amen? But I do think we're going to have keen eyesight. We're going to be able to hear very well. We're going to be able to communicate perfectly. Yeah, we can't wait for that move, amen? So the faith and the promise of God, they undergird us until the final move. So he waited for a city which has foundations. The temporal life of faith has foundations in eternity. We know no permanence in this life. In fact, no one has a permanence in this life. The question is, do we have hope in this life? Now, what happens is they settle us in being unsettled. Faith in the promises of God. That he's promised things to us. And so they settle us in being unsettled. That's faith. Philippians, Paul, our citizenship is where? In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews eleven sixteen. they desire a heavenly country. Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, he goes to describe it. Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. It urges us into eternal. Revelation 21.10, near the end of the book, and you can get the descriptions there. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. I don't know what kind of cities you've seen, how magnificent they might have been, how civilized they might seem. In fact, I don't know if there's any cities that are civilized. But there's coming a time when these temporal things are going to be gone. There's going to be an eternal habitation, an eternal dwelling. And God said he would dwell with us. He will be our God and we shall be his people. Secondly, 
He waited for a child from him who is faithful. Again, this is so key. Greg, I don't know, are you going to be hitting on this again next week a little bit? Okay. Because it's key, it's central to everything that we believe about our salvation, our righteousness, and God's promises. And so in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So Abraham had to separate from Lot. We know what happened there. After Abraham then had to rescue Lot, if you remember the story, from the four kings, after he was blessed by Melchizedek, God then comes to Abraham again. And in Genesis 15, he says to Abraham, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Go to, go to Genesis 15. Let, let's, let's go there. Genesis 15. Key, important chapter. That's referred to often in the New Testament. But Abraham said, verse 2 of chapter 15, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And here it is. And he believed the Lord and it was, he was accounted it, he accounted it to, right, to him for righteousness. That's a key passage. Abraham believed what God told him about this promised child that would come, be the heir. So Abraham and Sarah are waiting for the promise. What happened? It didn't come, at least in their timeline. So Abraham and Sarah decided to help God out in fulfilling the promise. And what did they do? Sarai gave Hagar to Abraham, said, hey, let her be the one through whom this promise has come. And who was born? Ishmael. Was Ishmael the son of promise? He was not. So in trying to help God out, which is always a problem, Hey, he who promised is faithful. I don't need to help him out in that regard. In fact, he doesn't need my help in anything. I usually get in the way and make a problem. And that's what happened with Ishmael. And so we read in, in Galatians that Abraham had two sons. And the one was of the flesh and the one was of the spirit. One was of the promise and one was of the flesh. And God didn't even recognize the son of the flesh. He said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him up on a mountain that I will show you. Genesis 22. God didn't even recognize the works of the flesh. I'm thankful he doesn't recognize the works of the flesh. Read the works of the flesh in Galatians. It's a horrible list. It certainly isn't any, any offspring of God. Romans says, It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, Romans 9, 6 through 9. For they are not all Israel who are called Israel, who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. 
That is, those who are of the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Now when did that happen? Well, a little later on. Abraham's 99 years old. God appears to him again. Now, by the way, when he left Haran, he was 75. Now he's 99. God appears again, reaffirms his promise, changes his name from Abraham to Abraham, meaning a father of many nations. And we know what happened then in a later visit. As he's in his tent there, and those two angels come in Genesis 18, and, said, and they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. There's the tent again. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, your Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent of the door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, what did Sarah do? She laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There it is. At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh. They said, oh no, you laughed. What did they name their son? Laughter, Isaac. You know, the promises of God can just put a chuckle in our hearts. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. He who promised is faithful. It happened just as God had promised, Genesis 21. Sarah conceived, bore Abraham, a son, they called him Isaac. They waited for a child from him who is faithful. Abraham was 75 years when he left Haran, 86-year-old when Ishmael was born, 100 years, years old when Isaac was born. He waited 25 years for this promise. Are any of you here 25 or less? That'd be like waiting your whole life. God is faithful. His timing is not our timing. A lot of times God's timing when you get hindsight, you realize, I'm thankful God waited on that one. Our salvation. What if God had closed the book up 10 years ago? How many of you would have perished 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Aren't you glad God waited? It's not that he's not going to come. It's not that he's not going to fold the whole thing up. He will accomplish what he's promised. But he's waiting. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is a little difficulty with this passage. When it says, Sarah herself, verse 11, also receives strength to conceive seed. Literally, power for the depositing of semen. Now, there's trouble with that, and there's only the man can supply the seed. So I think a better rendering might be, by faith, he, together with Sarah, received power. And it, it appears that Sarah's faith 
was a direct result of Abraham's faith concerning the child. In the tent, she's laughing. Now, Abraham had his lapses too. They both did. Took 25 years. But when that time came, we read of Abraham these things in Romans chapter 3. Turn there and we'll, we'll close on this passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you know it well. For all have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and is accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Look at verse 13. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, no law, no transgression. No transgression, no need for faith, and no need for promises. Romans 4 again, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope he believed. So that the, he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Remember he took him out said look at the stars. And not being weak in faith. Here's the exercising of faith. He did not consider his own body. Already dead, as, as Hebrews tells, as we received him from the dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, when we look at the human limitations, it can destroy our faith. He did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider himself even the deadness that he had. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. That what, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Let me give you two more urges. The urging and undergirding. It's very simple. Faith and the promises of God urge us into the grace of God. They undergird us by the grace of God. Our receiving of his Promises to us, beginning with Christ, are because of his grace. And so it says there, being justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Glorious, 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 glorious. And so the destination of his faith, he waited for a city which has foundations. He waited for a child from him who is faithful. And in one sense, we are waiting the same. We're waiting for Jesus to return. Gretchen talked about waiting for a country where he would fit in. And then we're going to talk about when he was tested and then when he was his blessing of faith. Pray with me a moment and then we'll, we'll dialogue a little bit tonight. Father, thank you so much for this whole, <laughs> the whole word that's filled with your promises. And we know that in Jesus, your promises are yes and amen. We have not followed cunning, cunningly devised fables. But we have followed, Lord, you. We've come to know you. And Lord, we see things so differently now. And I pray, Lord, you'd urge us. Give us that unction to be obedient and step out when we really don't know the final destination and those different things that we're walking through right now. But Lord, urge us, I pray. Undergird us, Lord, in these things that we face. Urge us, Lord, in the things that are eternal. Undergird us, Lord, to deal with the temporal. And Father, we thank you for your grace. And like Paul said, his grace, your grace toward him was not in vain, but he labored more abundantly than them all, yet not him, but the grace of God in him. So, Lord, may your grace so drive us in a good way in believing and walking obediently to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,